Welcome to Get A Move On, the podcast for movement lovers who are fed up with their injuries and want to enhance their all-round health. On this podcast, I'll help you change how you think about pain and illness so you can drop the frustration and move freely. I'm Amy, an osteopath turned yoga teacher and mindset coach. On this pod, I'll be talking about the joys of pain, injury and illness, the mind-body connection and how they relate to our movement practice so you can get a move on. Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Get A Move On with Amy Slevin. My name's Jamie, and I'm helping to co-host the podcast as always. And today we're talking about something slightly controversial in movement and spiritual circles, which are the limitations of yoga. Now, that's not because we think yoga sucks. In fact, Amy is someone, as you'll soon find out, who's done quite a lot of yoga. But rather because we think that yoga is often sold, as are other related spiritual practices, as the single fix-all problem solution and that that leads to a whole bunch of negative outcomes, as well as not being true. But before we get into that, Amy, how are you? Hey, Jamie. I'm all right, thanks. Are you ready to do something slightly controversial today? I love controversy. Cool, let's go. So, I mean, the first thing is, are you a yogi? I would not classify myself as a yogi at all, because in my perception, a yogi is somebody who meditates probably every day, or maybe, I don't know, every other day. But basically more than I do, I kind of never meditate or have a different form of meditation. We'll put it that way. Mine is like moving or ironing my sheets or just doing like boring, menial things like that. For me, that's my meditation. But I wouldn't classify it really as meditation. I don't necessarily embody the image that I and probably most other people have as a yogi. And I think that image, to be fair, is like a man with long hair, probably long beard as well, and tattoos, and beads around his neck. Yeah, fair enough. That's not quite you. Exactly. I'm not that. Yeah, so it's interesting. So like, I think when I think about yoga, and I'm talking from the outside as someone who's never done any yoga, the thing that strikes me about yoga is that it's dogmatic. Now, that's not to say every form of yoga is dogmatic, or there aren't non-dogmatic ways to go about it. Unlike meditation, which is something I have got mucky with, it strikes me like there's this spiritual element that makes it unlike most other practices. So the difference between parkour, say, and yoga to me, or parkour and meditation, is that the latter two make claims for themselves in terms of like, if you do me right and follow me correctly as a way of life, basically all of your problems will be solved. That's at least the sell that I get from the outside. Is that a fair assessment of how yoga sells itself? I think so. And I did a quick investigation on the benefits of yoga. I just literally Googled the benefits of yoga and it says quite a lot of stuff, right? So it says like anxiety relief, stress relief, it can heal injuries and pain, back pain relief, it improves strength, balance and flexibility, it can help ease arthritis symptoms, benefits your heart, helps you to relax, helps you to sleep better, you can get more energy and brighter moods and it helps you to manage stress. Like those are just some, right? And I'm not saying that that doesn't happen because obviously it does because if it didn't, there would be a lot of people who'd be really fucking pissed off. And a lot of people are very satisfied, right? So I'm not saying that it doesn't do those things. I'm just saying that maybe some of those things might not work for everybody. And it does different things for different people. Okay, so the thing about yoga, like meditation, is it sells itself as I'm going to deliver all of these benefits. So naturally, the people that are attracted to it are the people that are attracted to those kinds of benefits, right? When you got into yoga, were you in a position in your life where you were thinking, God, I could use some of that? Or did you come to it more organically? No, I was so stressed out of my tree at the time. 
I was in second year osteopathy school. Lindy had recently passed away. I was going through a mega stressful time with a relationship and I was just like, oh my God, I need something. I was so anxious and I don't know if I had a sense of it myself or if it was my boyfriend at the time, Bertie, who was a yogi and he maybe suggested it to me. Anyway, so I gave it a go and I had huge expectations of it and I knew nothing about it. I had maybe done like one or two classes before when I was like 18 and I thought it was like incredibly fucking boring. Like I was doing a Yenga yoga in a beautiful place, but I was like, this is just fucking boring. And so between the age of 18 and 28, which is when I next started yoga, I don't know, maybe the awareness around yoga had changed or something. I don't really know. But then my expectations going into the yoga as a 28 year old were very different. And I really had high hopes that like it would help me just to kind of de-stress and that it would kind of solve all my problems, <laughs> like my mental problems. Yeah, it's so funny you say that. When you were 18, you weren't interested because you weren't buying what they were selling, so to speak. You weren't in need of the stress relief. I didn't even know that that was a thing, right? I, I wasn't there for the stress relief. I was there because my other boyfriend at the time said, this is a good thing for you to do. And I was like, I don't know why. And he was like, well, I'm going to go come with me. And I was like, okay. And I, had, I knew nothing about it. Yeah, it's amazing. The appeal of stuff just disappears when you're not buying what you perceive to be the psychological benefit of the activity. I stopped meditating as soon as I saw that meditation was a little bit of a false sell in as far as the psychological prize that I was after. But I was sitting like two hours a day before that. You know, I took it very seriously and I dropped it overnight and the idea of it became less appealing. And the idea of it today is less appealing. You know, I, I didn't see meditation. I just saw the prize at the end. And that's maybe partly my beef or I guess our collective skepticism of yoga. It's nothing to do with the yoga. It's to do with the fact that lots of people get incredibly invested. And the only reason they get to that degree of invested is because there's that degree of reward on offer, right? I mean, very few people get invested in things that they don't perceive there's a big prize at the end of, especially not in like a, I'm going to totally change my life kind of way. You know, I was a definitely guilty of selling the benefits of meditation far and wide and not just like do half an hour a day, it'll chill you out, but like deep dive enlightenment as a cognitive event type benefits. And I would take friends. I wouldn't understand why they weren't quite into it. But actually now I think about it, like they just weren't in need of the exact kind of anxiety relief or stability or whatever the hell I was after that I was. So for them, it was kind of just like, eh, this is kind of a thing that you could do. But for me, I was like, oh my God, this is mind blowing. And the teacher at the time I saw as this superstar guru, and he is a really, really cool guy. But my friends who would come along with me would be like, oh yeah, he's a cool guy. And be quite balanced about the thing. Whereas I was like, oh, how do you just think he's a cool guy? And it's not because I like loved his personality, although I do. It was because I perceived him to be the mechanism through which I was going to get the big prize. And it's just so true of human behavior. Like yoga doesn't appeal to me because I'm not after what they're selling, but equally half the stuff I get up to people won't be into because they aren't into what I'm selling. Does that make sense? Totes. And I think what you're saying is we can infatuate with the idea of something or we can infatuate with the outcome that we think it's going to give us. And I think a lot of people, even yoga teachers, like they do kind of like, there is an infatuation with yoga. It's like an imbalanced perception. <laughs> we kind of sometimes have this like, in the early stages of a relationship with a human being, right? When we like, we meet this person like, oh my God, they're amazing. And we see all the good things about them. And we're completely blind to the downsides about that person. Until, you know, a bit later on when we kind of realize that actually 
their farts really stink, they're a bit grouchy sometimes or often, and then the truth about them kind of emerges, and then we have this like major resentment that kind of builds up as we start to see the truth about that person, but they weren't hiding necessarily. It was there in plain sight, but we were just choosing not to see it. And I think the same thing has happened with probably you and me in yoga, and I think other people too, because I did a bit of asking people what their experiences were. And a few people did have that same kind of infatuation of like, oh my God, yoga is going to solve all my problems. It's going to fix my back. It's going to fix my crazy anxiety. It's going to help me really to de-stress all of this stuff, which I'm not saying it doesn't do. It really can do. It just depends on, first of all, who you are and how you're doing it and what other stuff you're doing as well, probably. Yeah, it's not It's not just a one-fix-all solution. And to the degree that it's sold as one, that's where the problem is. Again, just to draw the meditation analogy, I thought, and I'm sort of slightly embarrassed to admit this out loud, when I was 20, I thought, and I'm 24 now, I thought, given that I'm working from this technical meditation book written by a fancy American neuroscientist who spoke in detail about how suffering is this transient event you can get out of just by having the right fundamental assumptions, I then took that and thought, okay, well, it usually takes this amount of hours of meditation to like work through the various stages outlined in the book. Suffering stops here. I'll probably never suffer again from about 23 and a half. I wouldn't admit that to anyone. But that's kind of what I'm thinking. And then there's no doubt I run into frustrations with the process because the process is selling itself as something that's obviously impossible. And I think that in my case, it was definitely acting as a crutch for needing a certain kind of psychological, emotional support. And my cynicism about practices that promise the world is that my sense is they're basically just doing the same for others. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is that your friends, who were a bit meh about the whole thing, they probably just had a more balanced view of it and they didn't buy into the whole kind of it's going to fix everything kind of thing because they were just a bit like whatevs and so they had a different expectation and a different perception of the meditation than you did it's similar to this like I went to my first yoga teacher training and I remember there was this one girl who said to me something along the lines of yoga kind of is the ultimate path to spiritual enlightenment or something and I was like really and she was like it's the only way to happiness or the only way to achieve I don't know what like maybe enlightenment I don't know exactly and I was like what the actual because I've been coming from parkour as well and parkour has its own philosophy too so I was like when she said that I was just like but I've been doing all of that stuff in parkour yeah and it's worth just breaking down the mechanics here Like if you were to zoom into her psychology, right, there would be some specific fear or some specific pain or suffering, etc. And she would see if you really zoomed in and broke it out, that yoga was the path to resolving that. So it's quite obvious and it's quite clearly true in that case, subjectively, that yoga is the only path to the thing. And had running sold itself as the same and had the same spiritual edge and had the same, I don't use the word marketing cynically, but the same marketing she'll have been just as into running, right? Because we're very rarely into activities for the sake of activities, especially when we frame it in terms of this is the solution to something big. We're in it for its properties, its solution-giving properties. And I'm constantly reminded of this conversation Sam Harris had with a former white supremacist who said he got into white supremacy because he was basically picked up off the streets by a bunch of white supremacists in a particularly dark period of his life. But he said, looking back, had someone come in with the exact opposite message and been radically inclusive. 
radically anti-fascist. He would have gone into that with just as much enthusiasm because he wasn't into white supremacy and he wasn't into anti-fascism. He was into feeling part of a movement bigger than himself. It wasn't about the thing. It was about what you were getting from the thing. And it's exactly the same with yoga in so many cases, which is why people who aren't dogmatic and take things like, you know, seriously, but not so seriously, end up being the most balanced and quote unquote, the wisest on that topic. And everyone who's dogmatic about it, and I speak as someone who's regularly dogmatic about everything, is just missing the point a little because you're using it as a crutch for something else. Otherwise, you just don't end up with dogma. Yeah, I very much agree with that. I've also spoken to a lot of other people who went to yoga for a specific purpose. And they've said, you know, I I now do other stuff. Like I've stopped doing yoga for this purpose because it just doesn't give it to me. So one girl I was speaking to, she surfs. She goes surfing as often as she can. She's like, the feeling that I get when I'm surfing by far trumps what I get from doing yoga. And people have that same experience with dance, for example, You know, there are just so many different ways of achieving the same thing is basically what we're trying to say. And different people gel with different stuff. And some people are going to really gel with the yoga. And there are lots of different types of yoga as well, just to make it even more broad and encompassing and welcoming everybody. And also, like some people have said that they've felt so much better in their bodies from doing strength training rather than from doing yoga. It's such a good point. There's so much out there because there's so many things people are after. And like how you feel about variations of the thing you do is a really good indication of where you're at. So I used to feel terribly sorry for people who did slightly different types of meditation, which I know sounds ridiculous because they were, they were meditating, like, but they just made the point that I was after something so specific and thought that what I was doing was the only means to that end. So I'd imagine the more like, oh, cool, like you do surfing, I do yoga, brilliant, man. Like rock on, you are. The more balanced about it, you probably are. And the more you go Oof, surfing, well, it's okay, but you're missing out on three hours a week you could spend doing yoga. The more that way you are, the more you need to, and I'm speaking to myself here more than anyone else, acknowledge that it's not actually the yoga or the meditation or the surfing that you're so into. There's some nightmare in the closet that's kind of running the show. Exactly. And I now would like to steer the conversation towards a slightly darker thing. I'm going to call the side effects of yoga. So one of those is injuries. Another one is increased anxiety and increased stress. And I think you had an experience of that from your meditation. You had an increase in stress or anxiety, didn't you? Yeah. And it wasn't the meditation per se, but it just now this activity became incredibly high stakes. If you attach to an activity like yoga, say, as a solution for the world's ills, or at least your personal ills, it's rubbish when it goes badly, or you get injured, or you're not doing it well. That's now a whole new type of stress, because you're not actually mourning your inability to, I don't know, do a good downward dog. You're mourning your inability to solve all your problems. Yeah, totally. And I've had, you know, yoga teachers, when we've been discussing breathing, quite funny that breathwork is now like the big thing like everyone's doing breathwork because it's so transformational and you know there are articles about people who've had like an increase a dramatic increase of anxiety from breathing because sometimes focusing especially if you already have like a breathing situation focusing on your breathing if your breathing is already a bit of an issue can make you more stressed so the idea that focusing on your breathing can make you less stressed is a thing I'm not saying it doesn't work but for some people it doesn't work because the focus on the breathing just becomes a stressful act 
I remember when Lindy was in hospital, for example, Lindy's our sister who had cystic fibrosis, and she had difficulty breathing quite a lot. And I was trying to do a breathing exercise with her, and she found it so stressful because she couldn't quite get the breath. I'm not entirely sure what the specific exercise was, but because of the difficulty that she was having from breathing, trying to do this breathing exercise just amplified what was already going on, the fact that she was finding it hard to breathe. I mean, it's just such an obvious example. Like doing a breathing exercise with someone in hospital with cystic fibrosis is just the clearest demonstration of like horses for courses. What <laughs> works for one person quite clearly doesn't work for another. Mm. And you're rarely going to get like a more comical demonstration of that than someone literally struggling to breathe being made more and more aware of that fact while being put under physical duress in order to be made aware of that fact. Exactly. When you said injuries, I think of yoga as sort of varying from quite chilled to not that chilled, but most of it being on the quite chilled side. How does injuries happen in such a quote-unquote chilled environment? Okay, well, sometimes people can overstretch. And I think that's a thing that happens a lot. And I know a lot of people who do Ashtanga yoga, which is very repetitive, where you're doing a lot of forward bends in the primary series, there is a lot of potential for repetitive strain. So doing the same thing again and again and again and again and again and again and again can be a little bit irritating for the body, which is why variety can be so useful. So a lot of people who do Ashtanga yoga, they get disc issues. And so they'll have a little disc herniation, which then prevents them from doing the forward bends that are required in the primary series. I think the thing about Ashtanga in particular is that you have to do it pretty much every day. Women get some time off during their period because they're filthy animals and they're not allowed to practice or do anything when they've got their period. So they get some rest time. But some women choose not to do that. They choose not to take that. And so it's like a practice that they're doing every day. And it's pretty hard practice as well. So you're like hammering your body and not giving it time to chill and recover properly. It is an athletic practice. Let's not deny that, right? And there are lots of types of yoga that are that, like Dharma yoga, rocket, some other kind of physical vinyasa practices are pretty tough practices. And if you don't give yourself time off to recover properly, even if you're doing something that is perceived as health-giving and strengthening, it's still going to take a toll on your body. You know, injuries can happen during yoga. And I've had more injuries doing yoga than I have doing anything else including parkour which is the thing that everyone is like oh did you get that injury from parkour no I didn't I got it from yoga so <laughs> I've had a hamstring injury that I got in my second proper yoga class ever and I was like oh okay that's interesting so I pulled my hamstring I've had wrist injuries shoulder injuries I got back pain from doing too many back bends my body is not naturally back bendy and I was pushing myself hard into these fairly extreme backbends and I wasn't listening to my body when my body was saying you know what you're not this is not right for you and that's I think a thing that a lot of people who do very physically active yoga do because yoga glorifies flexibility and hypermobility and it makes sense in a way that that happens because it was created by people who come from a nation where there's a lot of hypermobility I can't remember the exact details, but I know that there's a high proportion of the people in India, for example, who have a different type of collagen from people in the West, which makes them more flexible, which means that when they're going into these fairly extreme yoga positions, their bodies are kind of very okay with it. Whereas if like a stiff or relatively stiff Westerner comes along and tries to do that, then it is going to affect their body in a different way. It's going to pull on their body in a different way, even if they're hypermobile, which is a whole other thing which we're going to talk about in a minute. Yeah, and there's a point here about just acting within your own limitations. Like, 
I'm six foot one and I can't touch my toes. And when I was sitting like, you know, an hour at a time or an hour and a half at a time meditating and everyone around you looked like the fucking Buddha <laughs> cross-legged and I'd be there like on my chair. Like an old man on his chair. I know. And everyone else would be like these little Buddhas and I wouldn't. And I was like, I had to come to terms with that because I spent ages trying to do this cross-legged thing and my hips were just agony. I remember doing some training with you on how to sit properly mm-hmm. and the funny thing was yeah for someone who really wanted to sit and meditate you didn't seem particularly keen on training your body to be able to do that yeah it's because the, the sitting actually was unimportant to me it was the end result and I didn't really see that the aesthetic of sitting on the ground helps me get the result but it helps you to connect with the ground Jamie yeah that is probably true but I obviously didn't make the link strong enough between that and enlightenment had I I would have been training like an hour a day for it I'm sure the whole thing of like sometimes when like teachers are like yes and connect with the ground I'm like we're in a fucking room babe there's floor underneath me babe the ground might be you know 10 meters down let's be real about it the gravity thing is nice though hey yeah like it is nice I'm just speaking wishfully because I sat in a chair for 18 months You know what? I did a retreat this weekend and we had a little walk in the forest. We took a little packed lunch and we sat down in the forest and had the packed lunch. And then after lunch, we did a little yoga nidra and everyone laid down. I had found a little clearing where it was going to be sunny and kind of warm enough. Everyone laid down on the grass and got comfy. And then I took them through yoga nidra, which is like a deep meditation, deep relaxation kind of thing. The whole thing of like lying down on the ground when it is grass or sand at the beach or whatever (laughs) is nice. And it's funny how like when we go to the beach and do that, it's perceived in a different way. It's just like, yeah, we're just lying on the beach. It doesn't have that same meaning that we give to the other stuff. You know, you could go to the beach and just like, okay, guys, I'm just going to connect with the ground. Put some sunscreen on my back, please, while I connect with the ground. Like no one does that. Yeah, it's like flying a kite at night. It just seems weird. (laughs) Yeah, I've never heard of that. That's what I mean. It's weird, right? There's no reason why it's weird. Like, there's still wind outside. Maybe, I guess you can't see the kite. But, like, doing that on the beach, it's like you can. Like, there's no reason why you can't. It's just, as you say, we don't give it the requisite meaning. Mm-hmm. And I think it's similar kind of sometimes with rocks. Just because rocks are hard and uncomfortable, we don't give them the same kind of credibility. Or they provide extra credibility because you've meditated on a rock. So, like, how hardcore must you be? Ew. Those gurus who spend, like, hours a day, like, on an uncomfortable rock, kind of doing the meditation pose. That's hardcore, yeah. And in some ways, like, the, the thicker your yoga mat, the more of a coward you are. You know, that whole relationship? <laughs> oh, harsh. <laughs> but, 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 like, that's... I'm joking, but that's kind of the thing. And the less comfort you require shows the increasing level of development in your practice. Yeah, and you know what's funny? I remember I was in India after I had my hamstring thing and I was so stressed out because Lindy had died and I was like oh stupid school sister dead hamstring broken I took myself off to India for three weeks and I went to this like ashram up in like it was spectacularly gorgeous it was like surrounded by hills and valleys of eucalyptus trees and just like oh divine when you were there how did you find it you know what it was really interesting but also quite disappointing and because I was in an Ayurvedic hospital type ashrami type yoga school kind of place, again, my expectations were that this yoga Ayurveda kind of experience was going to heal my hamstring 
take away my emotional and mental anguish. And it didn't do that at all. And so I had like compounding things happening. I was like already like in a shitty emotional state. And then the frustration and irritation that this thing was not helping me (laughs) made things worse and like amplified it. And I was like, oh God. And I think I came home early. I think I left a few days early because I was just like, this ain't doing what it says it was going to do. Yeah, I ran away from a retreat in Greece. Totally silent. Totally the wrong thing for me at the time. 15 hours of meditation. 15 hours of meditation? What, a day or in the whole thing? No, a day. You would have seven hours sleep. Two hours mucking about and eating and all the rest. Jeez. And on day three, I rang my girlfriend at the time and she was like, are you okay? Because a phone call from someone who's supposed to be very much not there is a problem. And I jumped on a bus to Athens because the retreat was somewhere in Greece and cried for about five hours on the bus and then got off the bus and was taking a cab to the airport hotel. It was like this official cab, you know, like a black taxi in London. And I got robbed. So the driver, basically, there was a queue, right, of taxis. And there was a queue of people and someone about halfway down the back of the queue, a driver said, come on, jump in. And I thought, oh, he's just being resourceful, trying to skip the queue. But what actually happened is he took one look at me and went, you're not Greek. I got in and he was like, get in the front. And I was like, no, I'm okay. And he was like, get in the front. And I was like, fuck. Like I had like 150 euros. I was like, I'll give you the wallet kind of thing. But I just wanted my passport. And he was texting all his friends in Greek. And I was thinking, oh God, am I going to like pull up to an ATM and there's someone's going to be there with a knife in my back at the Greek ATM? In, in Athens. And in the end, I took my wallet and kind of as he was moving, just opened the door to see what would happen. And he just slowed down and said, you can go kind of thing. What? That's bonkers. So it was a, yeah, it was a disaster. Well, listen, I think that's a great place to leave it. Ames, thanks for that run through of the limitations of yoga and some other nonsense as well. Pleasure. That was Get to Move On with Amy Slevin. If you enjoyed that, we'll be back next week with a slightly different topic. And if you didn't enjoy that, we'll be back next week with a slightly different topic. Thanks for listening.